0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI Podcast episode, I continue my discussion with Core HRIR in India about performance management and assessment and data analytics.
1: As we think about how we design these systems, uh, the very first thing is to think about how how often. Now there's been a lot in the media lately, Uh, certainly in the U.S. it's been a a hot topic of debate. How how do we do this and how often and the traditional model of the yearly performance appraisal of just doing an end of year appraisal uh, has lost, um, has really lost uh, the 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 sense of value in most organizations Uh, employee uh, managers don't like giving yearly appraisals because it's a big time suck on them. They feel overwhelmed because they have to do it all at the end of the year uh, within a short amount of turnaround time. Employees don't like it because they don't find it particularly useful. You can imagine a a year end appraisal. It doesn't usually connect very well with um, your performance throughout the year. There's usually all sorts of recency bias built into it. uh, And it, It certainly doesn't give you an opportunity to improve your performance if you had something happen in February, but you don't find out about the performance from your boss or get any feedback until December. So the idea of a yearly performance appraisal uh, is kind of a silly one, and I think most organizations are moving away from it. Um, I would recommend personally that you move towards at least a quarterly appraisal system. That doesn't mean it always needs to be completely formal. Um, But there should be at least quarterly performance discussions with your manager. And personally, I'm of the opinion that it should be much more often than that. And particularly with millennial workers and with Gen Z workers, uh, they expect constant mentoring and feedback. And so if a week goes by where they're not having at least some short, meaningful interaction with their boss about expectations and about the performance and getting feedback on how they've done, then they're not happy and they're not satisfied and they're not going to be engaged and they're going to leave the organization. And so we're, we're getting into the, the, the world of real-time performance evaluation. And that actually um, can really be enhanced through the use of these new HR technologies and artificial intelligence that can um, help. We actually have just here locally in uh, near the university, we have a small startup company um, that has created an app for real-time performance evaluation, where every time you know, a, a supervisor or a boss interacts with their direct report, maybe there's a presentation, or maybe they, there's a client meeting, or you know something happens that immediately on the app, they can rate that interaction, they can provide a quick comment, The that feedback goes instantaneously back to the employee who can then ask for clarification, and then it aggregates it over time, and then you can see trends Um, and movements over time about how different aspects of performance uh, is shifting. That's becoming the new normal, I think, and and in five to ten years, I think that's what organizations will be doing um, for their performance systems. Uh, So it will be greatly um, strengthened by technology. Uh, A couple things, though, that we do need to think about, if we can go to the next slide. We do want to think about... um, Systems errors and biases. Now, we all have these biases. Uh, and because of the biases, we need to have mechanisms to be able to check our biases. We need to have trainings so we can calibrate managers about what it means to evaluate performance. Um, and so they can understand what common biases are and how they can counteract those. Uh, many, many types of bias. Um, some of the, the common ones, you know, we think about the halo effect or the, the horns effect. Uh, the halo effect, being you know basically one good thing happens, and so then you you look through the lens of that one good thing uh, with rose-colored glasses on every other thing that that employee does. So you give them a really high performance evaluation, even though maybe their overall performance wasn't very good, but this one direct interaction with you had with them was really positive. That's obviously not going to be effective. It's not going to be fair. Um, the same goes with the horn effect. That's where one negative. Uh, one negative interaction unduly uh, shapes your perspective of that employee on, and other ways that they perform. And then we have issues related to the, uh, validity, reliability, and accept, uh, acceptability and specificity. If we can go to the next slide, a uh, really quick diagram of this, you can see how it plays out. Now, of course, um, what we want with the best case scenarios we can have We can can identify performance objectives that we know align with the organizational mission. Uh, We can measure them in real time. We can provide feedback in real time. And that we have objectives that are both reliable, valid, uh, and really connect with the organization's mission uh, and and what we're hoping to get from that performance. Um, So here in in the targets, you can see a a depiction of what that really actually means. Target A, you have poor validity but really good reliability. So all those all those shots are clustered tight together. So so you have that measurement that clearly it's consistently measuring the same thing well. The problem is it's not aligned well with what you actually need and want in the organization. So you have poor validity but you have really good reliability. Um, target B. You have poor validity and poor reliability. They're not clustered, so they're not consistently measuring the same way, but they're also not towards the center of the bullseye. Target C is what we're shooting for. We're looking for um, clear alignment with the performance objective, how it's being measured, uh, and then the fact that we can consistently, over time with different types of managers, measure that aspect of performance consistently across divisions with different employees, that's what we're shooting for. Because then it's consistent, then it's uh, meaningful to employees. And if we couple that with constant feedback, then employees are gonna be appreciative. If we can go to the next slide, please. Finally, and I think just because of time, I'll end with this. There's a few more slides that we won't get to. Certainly, being valid, reliable, generalizable, it adds to your assessment method, and that's what you want. But you also have to think about the cost, right? The marginal utility of whatever you choose to do. So it needs to provide economic value greater than the cost of using it. Again, this is actually where technologies are really going to be beneficial because right now, without technology, without assistance by technology, providing real time performance management assessment and feedback is, is a crazy thought, right? It's an incredibly onerous task. It would, it would take people so much time to be able to do that. But as new, as technologies are emerging and there's new offerings and new HR information systems to, and software that can help facilitate this, you really can have uh, a performance management strategy that's moving closer to real time. Uh, that's assisted by technology so that it it actually not only does it not add to the burden of managers but it actually takes away from the burden of managers and it takes away those bottlenecks of like the end of the year appraisals where they just get swamped and having to review 20 employees within a couple days and try to be thoughtful about it that's such a hard thing and such a a time suck on managers but you start to break it up and you assist that through technology and you you're able to to chart and graph performance over time, that becomes meaningful to organizations, it becomes meaningful to employees. Um, With that, so there's a couple more things we we just won't have time for, maybe it'll come up with any questions. There's some tips on completing and conducting uh, the appraisal. Next slide uh, has um, thoughts on training managers and and employees that also I think is really important to consider. because ultimately, you can have the best system in the world, but if, if your people, if your managers aren't trained well on how to implement it, it's just not going to come off. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, I think, I know I probably disproportionately spent too much time in this webinar talking about the, the future of work and the shifting nature of work, but I think it's just so fundamentally vital in thinking about performance management because, because the jobs of today won't be the jobs of tomorrow. And we know that we already don't do performance management well now. So, so quite frankly, I'm a little hesitant to suggest like a, a magic bullet to performance management or some system that's this is the answer to your, all of your performance management problems. I think there's some principles, um, there's some strategies that we can consider, but we, what we need to do is we need to be vigilant and proactive uh, and strategic moving forward, getting the best minds together thinking about really, truly what are the, the core competencies required to perform the, the, the jobs, not just of today, but of tomorrow in our organizations. And if we can do that, then we can start to model the new, the new age of performance management systems assisted by technology and artificial intelligence that we can have the best possible outcome for our organizations. Um, with that, I think we'll just move to Q&A for the remainder of the time.
2: Uh, Thanks, John. Uh, We'll move on to the Q&A session. And, uh, John, I'll just uh, let everyone see you on video while we speak. Great. Great. So, John, our first question is from Rajesh Singh, uh, who states that um, in current scenario, there is a you know, lack of management support and biases which practically exists in organizations. So how to develop a robust performance management system that deals with such challenges?
1: So there's challenge. So basically, you're you're talking about having a a good performance management system within an organization um, where there's not a culture for it and you have resistance from the top down. Is that kind of the question?
2: That is correct.
1: Yeah. That's a big question. That's a really hard one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have like a, a perfect answer for it. Uh, I, am a big believer in all of us as change agents within organizations. Some of us have formal power. A lot of us don't have formal power. So we, we have informal opportunities to influence. And, uh, you know, if you're an HR director, but you don't have a seat at the table in the executive room, and you don't feel like you have support from the CEO, or uh, maybe maybe you're, maybe you don't have a CHRO, and it's you're the HR director, and you report up through another VP, uh, and they don't really support what you're trying to do. I mean, that's that's a really hard scenario, um, and I think it it comes back to constantly trying to show the value of what HR has to offer to the organization as a business partner. Um, so, so many. So many executives, you know, who have backgrounds, professional backgrounds in operations or finance or some of these other areas, all of course, which are very important to successful organizations, they don't always have a, a great appreciation for HR, or they might even see HR as the uh, uh, as just the, the 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 money suck of the company. You know, the, the, all this money's going in, it's not actually producing anything. And so, obviously, that's not true. HR done well. Um, can increase creativity and innovation in organizations. It can increase performance. You can lower turnover costs, increase employee engagement. I mean, there's all these different things that good HR systems will do to help cut costs and increase revenues for a company. It's our job as HR practitioners to show that value to people up the line, to be able to show it in compelling ways. And as we, um, within the constraints that we find ourselves in, as we can find opportunities to share that kind of information, uh, then that will, you know, I I am convinced that over time that will resonate with leaders. And sometimes, just just like we experience with people that report to us, sometimes it requires a change in personnel and a change in leadership um, for things to truly take hold. Uh, But I, I... I'm not a believer in just sitting around waiting for that to happen. So even if I don't feel like I formally have the ability to push a new initiative, I feel like it's my responsibility to, through informal channels um, to influence the, in any way I can uh, and make the case for what I'm trying to do. So that's, that's a general comment to the, to the, to the question now, specifically to performance management. I, I think it's the same thing. So you you want a performance driven accountability culture, Within your organization, right? You want um, you want clear core. You want clear objectives related to core competencies, um, and you want to measure them in meaningful ways. You want everyone to understand that they're going to be held accountable. Excuse me. Uh, you want to make sure that everyone knows that they're going to be held accountable for that performance or lack thereof, but also that they'll be supported. Uh, in in creating a performance plan, if their if their performance isn't up to par at the moment, so that that you want you want a, a a culture of accountability, but not a culture of fear. Uh, a, a culture of fear drives down engagement, it increases um, turnover, and it ultimately doesn't have a good connection with high performance. Um, and so that can be a hard line to walk right it's a bit of a tightrope trying to have clear accountability without having a culture of fear but if you if you can walk that line and make sure that people know that it's not arbitrary and capricious that you have clear standards that's being applied across the board to everybody fairly uh, that there's not nepotism there's not cronyism there's not people that get a pass just because they are good friends with the boss but like literally everyone is held accountable Uh, and then everyone is supported in achieving their goals in the mission of the organization when that culture starts to emerge it's a really beautiful thing Um, and so we make that case we make that case to management upper management to the ceo we make that case um, about how utilizing technology enhanced performance management will drive uh, higher productivity of our employees Uh, if we can consistently make that case then I think uh, we'll have a, a shot at overcoming some of that resistance. Uh, but it, it most definitely will take time if you're uh, experiencing that in your workplace.
2: Absolutely, John. I agree to that. And I think it's in the interest of management as well as the entire organization because a well-strategized and implement, implemented performance culture results in employee motivation and retention. Uh, yeah. So. Moving on to our next question, uh, that is from Aruna Kotru. And, uh, you know, there's a similar question that has come up from um, a lot of other uh, people from the audience who specifically want to know the best approach uh, or the best uh, appraisal system. Is it bell curve approach, which is recently getting a lot of, uh, you know, uh, in fact, a lot of people are not in favor of it, and there's been a massive opposition. So according to you, what is the best approach and the best appraisal system to follow?
1: A very good question. I, I think my cop-out answer is it depends, right? It depends on the organization and the culture uh, and the strategic vision of the of the company. Um, so you have some companies that... that have sworn by the bell curve, um, force distribution approach of performance. Um, and I think of Goldman Sachs, for example, um, it's a place where people want to work. It's a career maker. You go work for Goldman, even just for a few years, and it can set your trajectory for a good career, but they burn through people, right? They, 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 people come in, they burn through them. Some people stay, a lot of people leave. They're not so concerned. They're they're kind of an employer choice. Like people want to go work for them, and so they they're not concerned about the churn, right? They're not concerned about the turnover, and they basically put the grind. You know, they they just put the pressure on people. And if you're not in the top eighty percent, it doesn't really matter. You could be an awesome employee. I mean, I don't actually believe this is true, but you you could possibly conceivably have. Um, You know a division like a a group a a division or an area at goldman where you have 10 people and all 10 of them are awesome employees that all deserve um not just to stay but to get promotions and to get raises and based on their forced distribution system um every year the bottom two are gone right they're 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 not really going to even consider it um they're just going to keep the the top performers um now I, i think certainly there's lots of problems with that Uh, And most companies aren't a Goldman Sachs or a Google or, you know, one of these hot tech companies that people want to flock to. Most companies are fighting for talent. And in that kind of uh, scenario, you can't afford to get rid of a good person just because they don't fall on the right part of the curve. Uh, I think that's a silly, arbitrary kind of way of making a distinction. Um, What I think is is much more fair, which I think most employees appreciate is to have clear expectations set for per, clear performance standards that are articulated, have um, clear ways that those are being measured and then have that performance communicated consistently over time. And if you have five people on your team and all of them are awesome, then that's amazing. That's awesome. And you don't want to get rid of somebody just because they happen to be the least awesome of five awesome people. Right? Um, the same goes the other way. You don't just because you have five bad employees. You don't want to keep one semi. You don't want to you want you don't want to keep the least crappy employee just because they're less crappy than the other ones. Um, and so, keep good employees. Get rid of bad employees. Um, have performance plans in place to help uh, marginal employees improve. That's that's the approach that I believe in. Um, and the specifics of how that gets implemented depends on the culture of the company and, and how much of an employer choice you happen to be. Um, you can afford to take a bell curve, force distribution approach if you're a Goldman. Most organizations can't do that. Uh, and philosophically, I don't agree with that. I, I don't think that's a, an appropriate way to do it, But but certainly they can get away with it.
2: Thanks, John. Um, John, we are talking about HR analytics and big data and a lot of data that, you know, we are bouncing uh, with this. How do we use HR analytics to devise strategies uh, to implement, uh, you know, performance management and to keep employees motivated?
1: Yeah, I I think it comes back to just making sure you're measuring the right things. Uh, I don't know how many on this webinar have seen the movie Moneyball. Uh, It's a... uh, It's a movie about American baseball. Uh, It's a true story. Uh, uh, A manager um, who had uh, a team, uh, a payroll for his team that was way below the average for the league. And so you had big market teams like the New York Yankees you may be familiar with um, that could afford to pay basically 10 times the amount that his payroll could pay for his athletes on his team. But he's expected to compete at the same level. Uh, and so this whole movie, it's a fascinating movie. It actually, you know, it, it's very well, very well done. It was a Best Picture nominee in the U.S. maybe seven or eight years ago or something. Um, it's a very good movie in and of itself. But related to HR and related to people analytics, it's a fascinating movie to watch through that lens. Um, and he based this, the, the general manager of this, uh, the Oakland A's, this baseball team, he basically decided he was going to completely disrupt the way that he evaluated performance of them, of the players to to see who which players had the best value to contribute to the team to make the team collectively successful so not individual stars having good careers but the team uh, collectively successful and what he ended up doing through analysis over time is is recognizing that traditional metrics that have been measured in American baseball for hundreds of years aren't actually the best metrics for who's going to be the best performer to help the team succeed. Uh, And he came up with his alternative metrics and he started to follow those. And then that influenced how he um, got rid of some players and how he um, traded for other players. And he built this team that looked a little bit like a misfit team uh, with a really small payroll. That was like one tenth of the payroll of these big market teams and what happened was they went on to set the record for the most consecutive wins in a row you know in in, uh baseball history they uh they won their division title um and and they had years and years of great success through this approach and that approach then started to bleed into uh, american basketball and american football and some of these other sports and get the attention of industry um now certainly this, uh, this this person didn't invent analytics and he didn't invent people analytics or performance analytics, but he took a new novel approach to trying to think about which performance metrics actually matter. And I think that's what we all need to do is think about which performance metrics actually matter uh, and then measure those and then feed back that data back to our employees consistently and help them see where they're doing well so that they have that constant Uh, Motivation to do a little better, but also feel supported in being successful. Uh, As we do that, everyone likes to be part of a successful team. Everyone wants to contribute. Um, I suppose not everybody, but most people go to a job because they want to have meaning in their work. They want to contribute. They want to be successful. They want to have a good career. They want to help the company succeed. They want the team to succeed. We want to find ways as managers to help that happen. And when we do that, that increases engagement, that increases
2: motivation, uh, and it all comes down to knowing what
1: we're measuring, because um, that influences who, how we write our job postings and how we recruit, and who we interview, and how we select our employees and how we place them in the right types of jobs. It has implications for every aspect of HR um, in doing it well. Uh, I'm not sure if that fully got at your question.
2: But. Yes. In fact, uh, in continuation to the same, uh, what our participants would like to know, um, you know, if you could cite a few practical examples of what organizations are doing globally, um, you know, through HR analytics, how is it helping in terms of changing trends?
1: How is it helping with changing trends? Is that
2: trends And implementing, um, you know, performance management in a more effective manner.
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think we, you know, every now and then there's new reports put out um, by some of these tech companies, leading companies like Google, um, that give us some insights as to what's working well for them. I, it's it's a tricky thing because, again, I, I hate to always say it depends, but it does depend. It depends on a lot of stuff. It depends on the context, the geopolitical, social um, Cultural context that organizations function in depends on the, the sector and the um, the industry. It depends on the type of organization, the organization's mission, all that kind of stuff. But with that said, with that caveat, you, you know, you have great examples from tech companies like SaaS or Google, or these these big global companies with with tremendous success <coughs> and what they're doing. Is is they're they're getting rid of the yearly performance appraisal, plain and simple. Um, just up, just so I, I don't know. I'm sure uh, back in India you you wouldn't be familiar with this, but you, I'm sure you've heard of Silicon Valley, right, in the Bay Area, um, a tech hub, right. Well, where I live here in Utah, it's actually one of the the other really big tech hubs in the United States. We call it Silicon Slopes, because we're in the the, uh, Wasatch Mountains. And we have a big hub of of tech companies. We're one of the the highest levels of entrepreneurial tech activity in the country. Um, That kind of stuff happening right here um, where I live. And uh, one of the companies here is Adobe. I'm sure you all know Adobe. Um, They famously, uh, what, maybe five years ago, they famously Um, came out and said, we are done with performance management. We are getting rid of all performance appraisals. Um, And that sent shockwaves. People were really surprised by that. They're like, how can you get rid of performance management and performance appraisals? Now, what did they really mean? Did they really get rid of all performance management? Well, of course not. And does Google not do performance management? Of course they do. It'd be ridiculous to think that they're not doing performance management. But what they're doing and what Adobe did is they got rid of the yearly performance review, uh, the yearly performance appraisal, because what they found is it did nothing to improve performance. Um, It was just this this arbitrary process, jumping through hoops, um, really for kind of legal reasons, right? That you had documentation in case of lawsuits or things. And that really was the only reason they did it. Uh, but it wasn't meaningful in terms of motivation or or increasing performance and coaching uh, team members helping them do better, helping drive performance for the organization And so they just said get rid of it Um, we're not going to uh, do performance appraisals anymore. Uh, Of course they still do performance management but they just moved closer to a real time type of uh, uh, performance management system where there's regular coaching, there's regular feedback, um, there's uh, regular interaction between the boss and the subordinates and that they they try to level the playing field so that people feel like they can have those discussions on a regular basis that's that's what i see happening um with the really innovative companies that are trying to push the envelope on performance management um not locking themselves into kind of rigid practices and traditions that have been done for a
2: long time but really looking at what's going to fit with our organizational
1: mission uh, and culture and help us to achieve that.
2: Thanks, John. Yes. um, A lot of organizations have given up uh, sharing performance ratings and instead focus on, you know, sharing uh, continuous performance reviews and feedbacks. Great. Um, Yes. The next question is from Nobarun uh, who wants to know the useful HR matrices for organization performance management system.
1: The useful performance matrices for yeah. man-
2: Yes, useful HR matrices for uh, organizational performance management systems. So matrices to measure organizational performance management system.
1: Yeah. So this asking about how to measure the effectiveness of a performance management system, not necessarily how to do the performance management system within a given company. Is that the question? That's right. Yeah. Uh, again, a very, very good question. Um, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I have a specific answer for you in terms of specific model or matrix uh, and how to, to assess. There are there are certainly uh, a variety of models out there uh, to look at uh, what's what's being done well and what's what's not working. Um, I think that the first step, though, obviously, is always to get your team together. And look at what you're currently doing and look at the track record over the last two to five years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and try to, to, to map it, to try to see um, what, are, what are your goals of your system? Um, have you seen any evidence that it's achieving those goals? Um, that's the first question. Uh, are you Do you see evidence that it's actually achieving the goals that you set out? And if, if it's not, then you have to go further and you have to ask, um, you know, what, what's inhibiting, what's limiting um, this? Is it a systems issue? Uh, and a lot of times it is a systems issue. Um, is it a training issue? Are managers not trained on how to do this effectively? Is it an objectives issue? Are you measuring the wrong stuff? Uh, and so you've got the best system with really trained, well-trained managers, but you're just measuring the wrong stuff. and So it's not having the impact right so you start to think through these different types of components of what should be in place for an effective system and then you can start to identify the gaps that might exist in your system and create um, create a a implementation plan for improving it over time whether that means providing more training getting a new HRIS system to manage the whole thing um, different policies and procedures that can help reinforce what you're trying to do Um, a lot of that needs to happen one of the things that I see a lot of times, in organizations, you know, if I go in as a consultant, and I see an organization that's uh, it's not functioning well, or it's not having the desired outcomes. Especially in, in, in larger, more sophisticated organizations, they've usually done the work of having a good system. They've usually done the work, you know, of, of training their managers. Uh, they, they often have done the work of trying to have have objectives that align. Right, with what you're actually trying to perform. So they've done those things. But what I see often as being out of place is there'll be conflicting messages, right? So you'll have this whole performance management system that you're trying to implement and, and do that should align with the organizational culture. But then you have this random thing over here, right? This initiative from an executive or this policy or procedure and, and these different types of things or, or different types of communication uh, that come down uh, that are inconsistent with the whole system itself, right? And that causes a lot of problems because, you know, as an employee, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how do I stay on the good graces of my boss? How, you know, they control my destiny. They, they control not only do I stay in the job, do I get promotions, do I get bonuses, do I get raises? They control the, my cur- my career trajectory, right? And so my number one goal is thinking about how do I protect myself? How do I help myself moving into the future? How do I make my boss like me? And if I'm getting, you know, there's this formal system with all this good stuff happening over here, but then I have my boss or his boss or her boss paying contradictory things or doing contradictory things, then ultimately what's going to happen? Who am I, what am I going to do? What am I going to follow? Am I going to really follow all this stuff, or am I gonna do what they want me to do? I'm gonna do what they want me to do because I'm not stupid. And I, and I know that they're the ones that are gonna influence everything. Um, and so I think we, we want to make sure that our system has alignment, but we also need to make sure that, it's, that all the components of the organizational system as a whole are in alignment and fit with each other, that you don't have distractors or things that actually undermine what you're trying to do with your performance management system to create that performance culture.
2: Thanks, John. Um, this there are two scenarios. One has been put across by Sai Kothai, who feels that uh, uh, perform you know non profit organizations are governed less by performance matrices. In that scenario, how do we impra- appraise the employees effectively?
1: So, how do we uh, how do we appraise performance in non profits? Is that the question? That's right. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately it's not a lot different than how we would do it in any organization or big corporation or higher ed institution or whatever organizations or organizations. And you want to uh, set clear expectations. You want to have clear objectives that align with those expectations. You want to measure them and you want to communicate uh, and, and feedback that on a regular basis. And that would apply to nonprofits as well. What often is the case in nonprofits, that's a challenge, is that they simply don't have the resources. They don't have the resources for the, the, the people analytics software, the HRA systems. They don't have the resources for the dedicated personnel. They often don't have a dedicated HR person if they're a smaller nonprofit. Um, they you know they just don't have the people resources. They don't have the the uh, financial resources. They don't have the software resources to be able to do all this seamlessly and well. Um, but the elements of what should be there, I think, is pretty much the same uh, that they should try to be implementing. Uh, and so that I, I think this comes back to my point in the slide deck about, um, about the cost involved with the system. Uh, the reality is we have to be very sensitive to the cost. And if you're, if you're in a GE-type huge global company, that's one thing. If you're in a local nonprofit, with 10 employees where you're scrounging constantly for government funding and grants and donations, and you don't have more people in time then you have, you have to do what works for you. The nice thing is that we have um, free systems. Uh, they're not as streamlined and they're not as good as the, the better softwares, but there's a lot you can do with performance evaluation and assessment, just using Google tools, right? G- uh, Google sheets and, Google Docs, and various various um, survey tools that are free. Uh, there's a lot you can actually do, uh, and so you know if I'm going into a nonprofit trying to help them think about their performance management, almost always they won't have that kind of formalized system in place. And and the, one of the things I'll do is try to help them figure out how can they set this up in a way that's meaningful, that's either free or low cost, um, so that they can start implementing it and not getting bogged down in in the uh in the process and not getting bogged down in the cost does that help answer that question a little bit
2: definitely it does in fact a similar question um, uh, but in a different sector so you know the, and this would perhaps be our last question for the day uh, we have uh, you know, project managers who are perhaps working on long-term transitioning projects, or we have scientists who are working on long-term research and development projects. So what would be the best and most appropriate way to evaluate their performance?
1: That's another really good question. Uh, wonderful questions by the participants. Um, so I guess really the question, as I understand it, is long-term performance versus short-term performance, right? Um, like there's some jobs where you just have daily, um, you have daily performance that you can measure. And then there's other things that you just don't actually really know if it's successful for like two years or five years, right? I, is that kind of the question? Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's how I understand it. And and that that is hard. And so, I mean, my suggestion would be what are the intermediate types of, Checkpoints that you can put in place, so you have this research project that's going to take five years. What are the different pieces that go at every stage of that process, that, and how can you measure those stages? Um, you won't ultimately know if it's successful until the very end, once it you know leads to publication or a new grant, you know, being received by the research team or whatever. Obviously, those are clear markers of success and uh, achieved performance. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, I'm in the world of academia and I can work on a research project for a couple years collecting data then I can write it up and then I can submit it to a journal and then it can take upwards of a year or two years, even before it goes through the review process and then it goes through the revisions. And then once it gets accepted, it can even take another year before it actually gets published. Um, so it's just this long process, right? So what that means for me as a professor uh, or as a researcher is that I have to have a pipeline of evidence of performance uh, at my university, I have to be able to show them um, consistent hits, uh, consistent successes, uh, and that means I can't bank everything on one project. So I, I have many projects going on simultaneously at different stages, so that so that I can consistently show that every periodically, every so often, I have that new publication or I have that new grant that's been successful, or I have this new this new thing that I've done. To demonstrate my value, right? And I think that honestly is what you would need to do with these research teams, uh, as well as find ways to have checkpoints with. So, if you really have this one major project that they're working on, find checkpoints. Um, you know, of the grant, the grant proposal process versus the grant acceptance process, and you can have peer review teams that can go in and help. Um, internal peer review team that can go in and help evaluate. Um, quality of what of the work that's happening so even if it hasn't led to the final outcome yet you know that it's on the right track um and you can provide that feedback i, I think you'd have to have that kind of a system in place
2: absolutely um, thanks john um, i think that was uh, it for the day we would have loved to continue and have the, this, this discussion on and on Uh, But in the interest of time, um, you know, we'll close the webinar here and uh, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Definitely a great opportunity for all of us to have a great learning on a weekday.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. And as I said before, um, I think the slides will be shared. Of course, the video will be posted Um, for any of you who've been participating on the webinar. My my contact information, you can look me up on Google or you can see my contact information in the slides. Don't hesitate to contact me if you want to connect uh, on anything or have discussion or look for a collaboration or something like that. So I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you, John. And I would request audience, um, you know, please feel free to reach out to core HRIR team or you can connect with John directly on LinkedIn in case of any further queries. Um, thank you so much, John, and thanks to all the participants who have been here. Uh, we would love to hear from you and kindly share your feedback. Also, uh, a big thanks to Veer, Manu, Kiti, Kashish, and Anu, and many more people behind the scene for the never-ending support to make these webinars a success.
1: Okay, thank you. Good night.
2: Thanks, John. Good night. Good night, everyone.